this is a look at that look at that uh jean bajlan with another great uh thumbnail it's mm -hmm. a really good thumbnail nice juxtaposition it is a nice juxtaposition props to jean yeah give it up to jean bajlan the thumbnail king it's blossoming nicely <laughs> i like telling dudes that <laughs> you're blossoming nicely sir <laughs> what is their usual response when you say that it's usually really quiet staring at the ground shuffling. <laughs> that is a win for mp yep Good morning to most, good afternoon to others, and good evening to the viewing audience across the pond. I'm Jason Miles, your host for another episode of This is Revolution Podcast. If you're new to the channel, please like, subscribe. If you're enjoying what you see, make sure you hit that notification bell so you are alerted whenever we go live as we're constantly adding cross streams and new shows. If you haven't checked it out, Pascal Robert and Jeff Kennedy took on the history of black fraternal organizations for the recent Mau Mau Hour. And it was a very informative and spicy show. If you'd like to be a part of the live audience for shows like the Mau Mau Hour, join us for movie nights or have access to champagne rooms, past and present, there's only one way. Become a patron for as little as $3 a month or $30 for the year. It can all be yours. Speaking of TIR, let me bring in the faceless voice of reason, super producer, chat moderator extraordinaire, and also fan of 90s hip hop, M. Tucson. Hello, hello. Really looking forward to this today. And this show also is something special for my co-host, my homie, my dog, aficionado of not just body jacking but also this golden era of hip-hop the pascal robert peace and greetings to the chat not here yet peace and greetings to the audience peace <laughs> and greetings jason miles m2 son for those watching the show live this is a pre-record we did uh the day before because we could not 
get our guest on a Saturday to do this for the live stream. Uh, for patrons, we have released this uh, live, so there might be a few people joining in um, as it will be a smaller audience. But let's bring in our guest because I want to get right down to the conversation. Uh, recently, we've had another rapper from the golden era of hip hop pass away. Dave from De La Soul succumbed to a long, hard-fought battle with congestive heart problems. De La Soul, along with Tribe Called Quest and Jungle Brothers, helped pave the way for a more uh, inventive and creative hip-hop uh, that wasn't bogged down by inner-city urban tropes. De La Soul marketed as hip-hop hippies helped open up the market for hip-hop to new suburban audiences. Their use of samples beyond James Brown and funk took the genre into new exciting directions to help us talk more about this is composer and best-selling author also fan of 90s hip-hop daniel mate hello daniel thank you so much for joining us uh thank today thank you for having me thanks Jay. Um, this hits a lot of us hard because you know a it's a reminder that we're getting old. Mm -hmm. You know, let's let's be real about that. Mm -hmm. um, and these, are, this is too soon to see a lot of these guys go. DMX went about 55, 56. Black Rob passed away. Uh, sadly, Shock G passed away. Um, when I was in my early, I guess I was in my teens to my early twenties. Tupac and Biggie both die violently and i think we all think that's the way that hip hoppers go is going to be uh violent deaths um and young and young right they're going to live fast and leave this beautiful corpse uh we're not seeing this with these golden age rappers post uh, uh biggie and uh and Pac, are we no no we're seeing we're seeing them die of chronic health conditions in many cases, mm -hmm. um, you know, some of which don't get super specified in the aftermath. Like, you know, the, the speculation, I think, is that it was his congestive heart problems. But I don't know that the cause of death has been, you know, but we, it's a, it stands to reason. And MF Doom, I'm not clear on, on what killed him, but it was some Oof. kind of, you know, illness. And that was a hard one. It's, I, you know, he's from the golden era under a different name, right? Zeb Zeph Love X um, from KMD. From KMD. Um, the gas face. Uh, you know, and I guess this kind of could be said to interface with the book that I co-wrote with my dad, which is called mm -hmm. The Myth of Normal Trauma, Illness, and Healing in a Toxic Culture. And I can't say what each of these guys was had lived through or what they were dealing with. But mm -hmm. we do see in the book that chronic health problems are on the rise. And it's stress-related. And not just current like job stress or relationship stress, but but the accumulated stress of the allostatic load, as the researchers call it, which is to say the wear and tear on the body of trying to maintain equilibrium uh, among the the you know life is hectic to to quote Inspector Deck reality <laughs> of our of our of our world, and of course those realities and those stresses are not distributed equally across the population, which is why. We have a chapter on how race and class get under the skin, how mm -hmm. sex gets under the skin, you know, uh, why women seem to be 
skyrocketing in chronic health issues um, as opposed to men disproportionately. So again, without being reductive or or playing armchair diagnostician on human beings, so I didn't know personally, mm -hmm. um, we are certainly seeing. You know, we know that health problems among black men, black women, there are just statistics that are just uh, outrageous and they're completely inexplicable by the, the genetic explanation makes no sense because these same conditions don't appear among, you know, these people's genetic relatives on a different continent in Africa and they and they're increasing over time. Genes don't change that much. So that's what I see when I see it. But whatever it is, you're right. They're not, you know, it's not. Danny Brown die like a rock star. It's die like no, die like die like a middle aged person with real people problems. He die like a middle aged person with no health care. I mean, I did get to know yeah. some of these people personally. I, oh, wow. I got to know Gift of Gab, um, and the last time I saw him before he passed, um, I remember he had someone to, like help him walk, and the the tour manager was telling me because where I lived, a lot of these bands would these artists would rehearse and stuff and they're like oh he's losing his sight due to diabetes um and of course he you know later succumbed and and biz and you're in, you're in oakland, know, well yeah. now i'm in mexico but before i was in okay. oakland yeah so I'm pam, from, I'm pam, from pam the functress too from the coup pam passed away um and that's a whole sad story um uh as as well uh yeah the last time I saw Biz, he was actually, he had just got a stevia soda named after him. I ran into him at a um, a health food conference, actually, um, where he had this sugar-free soda because he had, you know, lost weight again. You know, his weight definitely fluctuated. Um, so it, it's, it's, it is interesting to see some of the health problems these guys have. Also, I think people don't realize the first couple waves of hip hop didn't make that much money. No, only the guys that got into film really made money. Like look at LL. Uh, who else got into film early on? Ice T. Ice T. Ice Cube. Ice Cube. Yeah. You know, never yeah, never imagined Ice Cube would be getting into like lighthearted family road trip comedies. There you go. <laughs> mm -hmm. Are I mean, Pascal, what, how do you feel about this? Because again, these guys are are your age. It's uh, I mean, talk about a cause for for reflection or self reflection is that watching <clears throat> people who are literally your peers, you know, David uh, Jolicoeur, who you know, for many people who do not know, was Haitian American. You know, he was a brother from Long Island whose parents were immigrants from Haiti in the same era that my parents left Haiti in the late sixties, early seventies. Uh, he went to SUNY or Westbury. Him and I are contemporaries. We're the same age. And he literally used to come to frat parties we used to throw at Hofstra Long Island. I know people who went to SUNY or Westbury with him and uh, Plug One. Uh, and uh, when I found out he died, it was I, I was devastated because this is a guy, I, mean, I didn't know him personally well, but I know people who knew him. I'd see him at our parties all the time. Buster Rhymes used to come to parties at Hofstra, as a matter of fact, because Hofstra was a very big party scene on Long Island. And uh, it it was really devastating to me in terms of thinking about him, DMX, uh, and, you know, Biz Marquis, um, you know, MF Doom, all of these guys, Shock G, 
who were in a period of time when I was in college, some when I was in the 90s, when I was in law school, when I was you know still very much into the music, and now seeing them being my peers in age, being taken by various types of you know natural or unnatural death is really kind of uh it makes you really reflect and think about your own mortality in many many ways and what's what's sad about this to me is that of course there's a, a racial component in terms of you know you seeing black men in one industry in one genre of music die you know over and over and over again but at the same time it makes you wonder like what was the quality of life these men were leading after the peak of their success? Like, mm. did they have healthcare? Did they have, you know, were they seeing their doctors? Like, what, you know, were, were they just a product of accumulating all of the touring lifestyle bad habits that Jason knows so well that we've talked about on this show that they couldn't purge in their adult years that they may have still had attachments to? And it's really sad to see how all of this ends up just with these very talented, talented young artists dying so young. And it's um, it's very, very sad, man. It's very sad. Particularly, oh, and oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Particularly when you think about the social and the cultural impact of De La Soul as mm-hmm. being a transformative aspect of golden era, late '80s hip-hop and i know we're going to get into that very much so but one of the things that bothers me the most is that i don't think the contemporary generation of kids who listen to hip-hop understand how much de la soul were trailblazers in terms of what they were able to do to change the genre when you know the nwa had already entered the entered the, the cypher with the uh, straight out of compton and when there was still a schism between uh, the kind of um, BDP, kind of conscious rap, Boogie Down Productions, KRS-One, and the braggadocio of Run DMC, L. Cool J. So you kind of had, you know, Def Jam, and you had some conscious rap, yet the, the rise of, you know, Public Enemy, yet Afrocentric kind of bass rap. And the way in which De La Soul didn't overpower you with the racial consciousness in the way that made it a trope, like some other groups that maybe have come later, but at the same time maintain consciousness and had a political message, but didn't bang you over the head like Public Enemy either, but still made it enjoyable, fun, but you got to understand the seriousness of what they were saying. To me, was this the perfect threading of the needle of what some people would call quote unquote conscious hip hop, I don't really don't like that term, that was not really just a trope or corny or over the top. You know, I think of their songs like Stakes is High. Yeah. I think about their first album. They were, I mean, you look at the interviews right when they have their initial album and they're sitting in front of their house in Amityville. They're basically making it clear like, listen, we grew up in the suburbs and these like, 1500 square foot houses we have grass we don't look at the world the same way yeah. as people who grew up in the south bronx and we don't have a problem with that and yet and yet they were able to look because pos did was born in the bronx right i think right. pos right his family moved 
you know, tuttle on the shores of the Long Isle, as, as he says in, in uh, Break of Dawn, right? And uh, they were able to look at what their fam family, friends, you know, people were going through through a lens from the outside. So you have songs like Ghetto Thang on right. Three Feet High and Rising. You know, Mary had a little lamb, that's a fib. She had two kids though, and one crib or three kids and one, you know, speaking from the outside with a kind of cool objectivity and a sadness and a wistfulness and a slight critique maybe, or a sort of, uh, but certainly a critique of the stereotypes and a critique, sort of a, a social critique of like, and just looking at it from a, from a, a middle-class perspective, a sympathetic one, right? Mm. But then, you know, on a song like My Brother's a Bass Head, you know, like mm. other rappers, their brother being a bass head would not be such a, what can I say? Unfortunately, it would be more expected. But, but the, the, the conceit of that song is, here I am, straight and narrow, my mother goes to church, and my brother is the one in our family who is succumbing to that. And it just has a very different vibe coming from these guys. And, um, and just one last thing in terms of the tragedy of Dave's passing. One thing we haven't said, and it's just the elephant in the room, is the timing. Because two weeks from now, you yeah. talk about how he didn't get, they don't get their shine. Mm -hmm. And he maybe didn't make much money. Well, there was a huge added impediment for this particular mm -hmm. group, which was this bullshit with the, the sample clearances, which means that their classic albums, I'd say all four of their first albums mm -hmm. are four of the best albums in hip hop history. And you cannot say that about any other group or rapper, that their first four albums, each one of them, in my opinion, is a five mic classic. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, AOI, the next couple albums also had some amazing stuff on it. Those albums are not available on streaming platforms, and they're about to be finally. And Dave dies on Super Bowl Sunday. To me, that that's just what got me in the ribs. I I really wanted him to see this. And and another thing, remember Dela uh, or Paz in that MF Doom joint, uh, Rock Cocaine Flow says, "We're Dela, we're Dela till the death, or at least until we break up." Yeah. Well, we all knew that the second one was never going to happen, and it didn't, unlike every single other group. These guys stayed together. That means a lot because Doesn't you've it? been through some major ups and major downs. There's also, you know, I, I do want to get into De La Soul. Uh, actually, let's, let's, let's pivot to that. I, I kind of want to get into that, that initial... De La Soul album of Three Feet High and Rising, which comes out about 1989. Yeah. And there's a, a great ad that people were posting. Um, and our, our friend of show, a friend in real life, uh, Justin Hunt, has started his De La tribute off with this ad. And it's a white man in a suit. And the ad says, I came in for you too. I came out with De La Soul. And De La Soul is being, being marketed as the new Beatles. And there's two artists to me De La Soul and Lenny Kravitz that were being marketed around the same time as a revival of 60s creativity because you have all these boomers who are a lot younger 40 years ago as young record executives that are pitching the legitimacy of these black artists to not just a black audience. And De La Soul, in my opinion 
more so than the taboo nature of going to listen to NWA and 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 even Run DMC, where they're going to give you the stereotypical tropes, right? Mm-hmm. As as our friend uh, Ture says, he felt like when he saw NWA, he thought it was fresh out of a D.W. Griffith. And I don't know if I agree wholeheartedly with that, but I understand the sentiment. But De La Soul is just so different from the visual aesthetic um, and the way the samples are layered, what they're choosing for samples. You know, at this point, it's just break beats very you know uh uh uh, diaphragmic yelling on records and these guys are laid back uh on the beat you're taking all the notes yeah and 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 it's it's such such a sonic it's such a sonic detour in my opinion for hip-hop that even when you think of the rapper, if you were to say rap in 1989, you would think all black gold chain. I'm the da, 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 ABC. And these guys come without the ABC flow. And it, it just, to what everyone is saying, it mirrors that reality of, I don't understand the urgency that you are saying these words in because I don't have broken glass everywhere. Mm. <laughs> um, yeah. I, I'd, I'd love to get your guys' uh, opinion on that. Well, in terms of the flow, there's something almost Dr. Seuss-like about the way they rapped, especially on the first couple of albums. Every song, if you notice, every song has its own rhyme scheme. It's not like they're just spitting bars and like filling 16 bars whatever way. You know, first song, Magic Number. Da 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 rhyme. You know that's the the word, and then on line four rhymes with that. Difficult preaching is positive news, pleasure, pressure. You know, pleasure in the music. Something something something. Me myself and I. Mirror mirror on the wall. Tell me mirror what is wrong. It's almost a nursery rhyme. And then they got more complicated on De La Soul is dead, but it stayed. You know, like think of Millie pulled a pistol on Santa. You know, here's a story about the trifling times of Millie. Da 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 da. And they both stick to it. They each stick to the same rhyme scheme, which creates a very different effect than, say, Q-Tip and Fife passing it off. And you get to hear their individual styles because the 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 rhyme schemes, the setups, are consistent. You hear the differences in their personality in a more subtle way. Then they get to balloon mind state. I know I'm jumping ahead to 1993, and it gets a lot more bebop, a lot more free form, and they're both it's so free associative. And that's my favorite Dela album. But yeah, they were whimsical, they were buoyant, they were bohemian. Uh, they never liked the hippies thing. Uh, you know, Arsenio dissed us, but the crowd kept clapping. I think that's what they were referring to. Like, you know, they felt pigeonholed and which is why whenever they performed uh, me myself and i for the rest of their career they would introduce it as we hate this song um kind of tongue-in-cheek but they they were you know as as the intro to plug tune and says get ready to flaunt that new style of speak and it really was a new style of speak which conveyed so many emotions and attitudes and kind of and a sense of humor that was just not present in hip hop, you know, it had more in common with like the Beastie Boys 
Paul, Paul's boutique in some ways than it did with Harris One. Um, but it was still aware of hip hop, you know, and it would comment on hip hop culture and sometimes make fun of it and sometimes quote it. Um, and what was great is that later in their career, Ghostface guesting on their stuff and uh, they're doing a song with Snoop Dogg. And, you know, they found their way to harmonize with the other, the other streams of hip hop. Everything was confluent. Everything merged into a, a river that where everyone could coexist. I think that also speaks to uh, hip hop being, for those guys, rap was just rap. Like, again, right. touring with Biz, when he shows you pictures of his early tour days, the, the best one I saw was it was him, Will Smith, and Easy E. <laughs> And I said, what is this? He goes, it was tour. <laughs> and he looked at me like, what do you mean? Why do you seem baffled by this? This is just what it was. Pascal, again, this is your era of hip hop where rap is just rap. Fresh Prince is really no different than N.W.A. Uh, how do you feel about that first De La record as well for as someone that didn't grow up in the, the uh, projects? I mean, that was... It was really shocking to me. My first, the first time I actually heard Three Feet High and Rising was actually when I saw the video for me, myself, and I. And I was like, whoa, this is really interesting. I was like, you know, because you know, they're in the, uh, they're in the, the high school, in the classroom, right? And, he, you know, and he's like, you know, he's like, he's like, yo, Pops, who did you get, man? He's like, I got Deaf Beat, man. And it's like, you know, and it's the whole skit about this teacher, Deaf. I mean, it's it's really creative. I mean, I don't, I mean, obviously we can't ascribe them to choreographing the video, but if you look at the, the theme of that video, they're basically three kids in high school going to a classroom and they're obviously like new rappers. And the teacher is this guy, Deaf Beat, who is like this trope of like an old school rapper mm -hmm. who's got a gold chain on in the b-boy pose you know what i'm saying who is like the teacher of the class and the, if you really think about what the, the subversive message of the video is is that they're basically like oh my god we got to see this clown again death beat but the thing is what's subversive about the video is that the the, the majority of rappers at that time, was still Death Beat. They still mm -hmm. were, you know, the you know the the b boy pose, the gold chains, and that that posturing of, you know, what was considered classic hip hop, still carries on into the '90s, where you have the rise of gangster rap, coke rap, and all of that stuff, where it becomes much more laced with stereotypes about mm -hmm. urban life, drugs, gangs, and poverty. But at the same time, in that early album, Three Feet High and Rising, you, you can tell just by not only the lyrics and the messaging, but even in the videos that we're trying, they're trying to say, that we're not trying to like, you know, diss the guys who came before, but we are on, we're taking a different path, a totally different path. And in that uh, video, what's also subversive is they're being bullied. Yeah. They're <laughs> getting spitballs and, and paper airplanes thrown at them, you know? And what's also hilarious is they take that for a while and then they come back on the next album 
And they talk about, look, just because we speak peace doesn't mean we can't throw no joints, you know. And they have the song Peace Porridge, which is like, okay, look, no, we will, we will whoop that ass if you push it. But, which, right. which also busts up stereotypes about what toughness looks like and what masculinity looks like. It's dignity. Is I'm going to stand up for myself. I'm going to stand up for my crew. But I'm going to do it with humor. You're not going to make me stoop to your level necessarily. I'm going to be me. And they really demonstrated the me, myself, and I ethos. It's not just a one song or an anthem. It's the, the, the way they stuck to their unique personalities and let those personalities evolve at their own pace and stayed cohesive as a group is completely unmatched. I want to say it's, something, it's, that's, something that's really important that uh, Daniel touched on. One of, the, one of the most important contributions that I don't think De La Soul gets enough credit for is the ability that they had to demonstrate masculinity at a time when it was such a common trope that fell into underclass ideological stereotypes about mm. what black manhood was, where they did not, they intentionally didn't fall into those tropes and basically defined their masculinity as being good human beings. You know what I'm saying? They were, they were really about their humanity. And their humanity is what enforced their masculinity. Not about how many, you know, B's and H's they could say in a song. And that's very important, man. And it's also very, very radical in terms of its being a departure from everything you saw before in terms of how black men were depicted in hip hop to very much so what you saw afterwards. Well, speaking of B's and H's, Tucson. Wow. Wow. <laughs> I know you have an opinion. Uh, how did De La Soul hit you as a young lady? You're a little younger than me. So mm -hmm. when uh, I would say probably either stakes is high or De La Soul is dead, um, you're probably being aware, or I could be wrong. You are from New York. You might have been uh, in grade school bumping uh, uh, three feet high. How did it hit you um, as, a, as a black woman? Well, I had an older sister who was also around older people. So I was bumping it from the start pretty much. Um, I'm, from, I'm from the Jamaica, Queens area. And it's like we're all part of the identity together. I, I probably wasn't going to get too far as a kid without listening to it anyway. If really? I didn't have older siblings, yeah, because it's it's just kind of it represents how we all were. Like De La Soul was from uh, Long Island, which I lived very close to Long Island, but it was still Queens. So I would say maybe uh, Tri Call Class more so represented where we were from, but uh, it, it all it all went together. These were all the same people. Yeah, um, immigrant families, first generation kids all kind of doing the same thing. Um, I will say that I, I really appreciated the mature representation of rap that they gave. Um, completely three-dimensional. It wasn't, I wouldn't say it was about being good people. It was about being three-dimensional. They brought complexity into everything they did. Um, and they didn't, they didn't make it easy for you. They're just like, this is who we are. 
And we're not interested in collapsing that to fit into anything else. We're going to make our own lane. And the crew aspect of what they did with Native Tongues, I think we, we, we have to also bring that up because we first get our taste of, of Native Tongues and, and what a posse cut uh, could be on that first album with Buddy, yeah. where you have um, all these people that you might have seen before, maybe don't know that well, uh, tribe, and, and, and that continues a relationship. And I grew up in Oakland, and Hieroglyphics was a crew that was very prominent in my hip-hop understanding as i even went to school some of those guys went to the same school as me um pascal probably make fun of that about the high school no it's really, let me tell you, it's really uh I, I i'm not surprised that you pivoted to native tongue mm-hmm. because so much of that aesthetic mm-hmm. i can see easily manifesting in the bay era area oh yeah Oh yeah, Hiro Hi- is you can't have hieroglyphics without, no one without the other uh, without native tongues. tongues. It's, yeah. it's just what they did on those songs is even what I try to do with this show. You know, I don't know if Pete, maybe I shouldn't be saying this out loud. I don't care. It, it, you know, I love the posse atmosphere of like there's this crew of of dope MCs that don't have to outshine each other. You know, Dave can just do the hook on a war tour, right? And that comes from sometimes just being in the same studio, right? Oh, oh, you guys are in room X. Okay, let's go in there and. <laughs> and this is and, before Wu Tang. Yo, right? Yeah. Who who passed the who took the torch? You, and you look at the buddy video. Also, speaking of you know, black women and black men, look at that video. What is that video? It's a bunch of friends standing around, laughing with each other, partying, having this warm energetic vibe they're all wearing whatever the f they want to wear the women <laughs> exactly. you know are the women are just dressed to express themselves and so are the men there you want to talk about gender nonconformity like yeah. this is this is a crew not in the sense of like individual identity and 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 like which sex do i identify with but in terms of gender performance these people were just simply not interested in being told what to do it's delacratic i can do whatever i want right that was their that was their anthem and that was their ethos and they just demonstrated it and they came up with their own language for it but yeah i mean uh and and even de la's like sex raps you look at like yes. i think do you mind if i talk about a song from stakes is high or is that jumping yeah yeah yeah, yeah 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 all yeah, right yeah, so yeah, look yeah, at the yeah. song better listen mm-hmm. from stakes is high you know the one i'm talking about yeah yeah, so there's two verses, Dave and Pause. They're both set up the same way. They're hanging out, being like, hey, what's going on? Oh, not much, chilling. What have you been up to? Well, listen, and they, they <laughs> tell a story. Now, what's Dave's story? Dave's story is about failing miserably, striking the fuck out with a woman. Like, it doesn't go well, mm-hmm. you know? You know, I'm not salt and pepper who, like, pushed the sisters, you know? You need mm-hmm. to be fucking with it, mister. You better listen. So better listen is coming from her. She, she ends up winning. And he's just like, well, that's just how it goes. And he asks Paz, what's going on with you? Well, same type situation. And then his verse is about kind of a conquest at a cookout, you know? It was an outside jam one Saturday night when this pretty-ass girl got locked in my sight. She was a ghetto philosopher. You know the type, thinking Mary J and Jeanette understood her strife. And they <laughs> end up having this conversation. He depicts this conversation that's very flirty, but also 
kind of edgy. She's not taking any bullshit. And she even, mm -hmm. he even gives her, and he doesn't, it's not like Positive K's song, I Got a Man, where like, yeah. um, uh, you know, the woman's, we hear the woman's voice. He just does her voice. And, and he says, she says, let me apologize for sounding so sassy, but brothers act as if my ass has a sign that said harass me. And she talks mm. about her ex who painted bruises on my ass. I ain't seen him ever since. Then he like comes back at her. He says, listen, deer or rabbit or whoever the hell you be. I'm not the <laughs> one to embarrass, but the one to emcee. And she's taken by that. Wow. Mm -hmm. And he says, well, the flag was lowered, so my wood was raised. And now we have the little consummation at the end of it. But mm -hmm. it's earned through conversation, through flirtation, through courtship, mm -hmm. through a dance that's equal between them. And it's kind of like it, it's very alive. It's very rich. It's very human. It's not this scripted porn domination and dehumanization of somebody, which like, not to like judge the rappers who it's not my place to, to like yeah. pass judge on anybody yeah. but it was a refreshing change of pace in 1996 absolutely and i would say back to back to buddy for a moment this it's a it's a courtship song it's a flirty song i understood that as a kid <laughs> i didn't understand everything that was happening but i understood that part but you look at the video, it is men and women, and the women are dressed however they want to be dressed. Mm -hmm. People are dancing. There's children in the video. I went to yeah. school with one of the children that was in the video. His oh. name is Jeffrey. Hi, Jeffrey. <laughs> <laughs> I used to hang out. I used to go to school with Jeffrey and his brother. That's Not how, Jeff, like... The, the main character from De La Soul is dead. Jeff, the one who keeps getting picked on by uh, Hemorrhoid, the, the leader. You know what I'm talking about? Jeff with the tape Maybe. and the skits. No, I couldn't. I doubt I mean, it. I doubt it. Jeff was little. Jeff was little. <laughs> there was but a little yeah, kids. Is that is it, you don't you don't know if that's him. You should ask him if he's I don't a little. Remember. I should. <laughs> yeah, I'll yeah, check the, that the, out. It's voice. I was I was just so you can't get as Daniel said earlier. You cannot get um, De La Soul music on the streaming services. You can sometimes find it on YouTube if you don't mm -hmm. own them. A and lot of you know that also speaks on YouTube, to, actually. I just was listening. Someone put it back up. Okay. Yeah. It's they, one of those things you have to keep putting up. It goes up, it goes down, right? Um, and then this person uh, time-coded all the songs as well. I'll, I'll send it to you, Daniel. Thanks. Um, it, it is, it is, uh, it's a sad state of affairs, in my opinion, because we've had this conversation on the show before. But, and this isn't to say that one era is greater than the other, blah, blah, blah. But there is something to be said about owning music owning media coveting these things that you own and uh i don't own any more cds and sadly i don't have three feet high i don't think i've ever owned an actual three feet high i think i always had a tape copy of a friend who had all the cds as many of us probably had that one friend that bought everything and um re-listening to that album before you came on that for me was my favorite De La Soul album. I think because it was so dark. Even the videos for that record are dark. Now, after the success of Three Feet High and Rising, and uh, they're part of the Daisy Age, which I really want to know if that's something that they came up with or if that was a marketing pitch, because also the imagery of that first record is very New York pop art at the time, very Keith Haring. Yes. Um, 
tribe has a little kind of that whole crew has a little bit of that and you always wonder like how much of that was you guys' influence how much of that is you know the influence of of record labels trying to get you over to a, a different audience and they definitely kill that with de la soul is dead which is about them killing the quote-unquote daisy age or the inner soul y'all age yeah. of their music sonically to me it's not that much of a departure because you're still getting no. layering of sample no you're, you're still getting you know a little bit of jazz with pop music and 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 funk but not as much funk and um but the subject matter to me is a little darker the main single isn't full of major chords uh like me myself and i you know ha 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 ring ring hey or, or hey, it's, hey about, whatever. it's about it's um, about it's about dismissing people who are trying to give them their demos it's about leaving oh. out the answering machine message hey how you doing right. sorry you can't get through why don't you leave your name and your number it's like oh, it's, it's like a, leave us the fuck Talking alone i mean there was also the saturday's roller skating song which was saturday yes yeah, saturday's and yeah. and uh there's a few songs on that record that you know definitely have that feel of the, of the first one but the the ring 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 single and the video the accompanying video for me it was just like i still love that that aesthetic i don't know how you feel about that pascal no i mean it was it was something that was very common amongst the period of my youth right because one of the things that i remember vividly is that there's this return to what's called "quote unquote" consciousness, and we call it. Oh no, we want that. That term has so yeah. politically charged in terms of what it means and what it doesn't. But the thing that's really fascinating amongst the, in that era, and I'm from that generation, is that you know you have you know brothers wearing the Africa medallions. You know the whole you know the the, the role in which what is considered to be black identity in New York in the late and early 90s is shaped by, you know, the political context of race in a post-Black Power era in a city that you still have TV shows like, like it is and that were hotbeds of, like, Black nationalism and Black cultural nationalism and traditional Black nationalism. But as much as you still see those kind of slight... Uh, you know, acknowledgments of that cultural kind of vibe, it doesn't hit you over the head. It's not It's not the main theme of the music. It's not the main theme of the overall group. And what's valuable to me about De La Soul, and particularly with Native Tongues, because clearly with Native Tongues, you have, you know, um, the Jungle Brothers were clearly mm -hmm. much more culturally nationalist in terms of the way mm -hmm. they carried themselves. But at the same time is that they were able to mesh and flow without anyone saying that, quote, unquote, I'm the right kind of brother or sister. Or, you know, it's like, oh, you're not deep enough, brother. I mean, like, the black very cornball corn attempts of racial essentialism that we saw in the early late 60s, early 70s during Black Power that become more popular in the contemporary age of YouTube uh, hotepism. Where you know, you know, if if you're not, you know, if you're not watching XYZ's videos or supporting XYZ scholar, you know, saying you, you know, you must be one of those Uncle Toms or whatever else. So I appreciated that they 
didn't have to worry about racial authenticity, but at the same time existed in a space where they were enjoying the cultural milieu that was existing at the time. And I remember those times. And they were very much a part of giving me the intellectual kind of foundation to investigate like race, culture, and politics, and a variety of issues that I bring to this show comes out of that period of time. I also want to ask you this, uh, Daniel, as a, as a music composer. Yes. Um, for me, De La Soul was my gateway into house music. Hmm. And I, Pascal is, is a bigger fan of house music than me, but I'm I'm a much bigger fan of trip hop <laughs> than, mm-hmm. than he is. So mm-hmm. the Portis heads and massive attacks and all that stuff. But there's a direct through line, in my opinion, from the native tongues to the Bristol sound, which becomes uh, uh, trip hop. Well, that, what's really hilarious to me about that, I never would have thought of that, but it's obviously true. And, you know, Q-Tip guested on Delight, Groove is in the Heart. Yes. And, then, right. later, and then later you have, you know, De La on the propeller heads. So, you know, it's a, it, that's a descendant, I think, of, yeah. of that era, right? You know, Brit, Brit's doing things with sample heavy breakbeats and things like that. Um, that might have even been like De La's biggest pop hit, ultimately, you know, being on that. Oh, sorry, uh, not propeller heads, gorillas. gorillas. Gorillas, yeah. yeah. Um, but what's hilarious that Dela was your pipeline, your gateway to house music. The only connection I could think of is the song "Kicked Out the House," where they're making yeah. fun of house music, and they yeah. started by saying, "In no way are we dissing any kind of house or club music. We're just glad we're not doing it. But if we did, <laughs> this is how it would go." And then they do this two two and a half minutes of just ludicrous goofball. Shit, this is on on De La Soul is dead, you know. Mm-hmm. Kick out the house, kick, and I it, it sounds like the lyrics are kicked out the house, hip house, which always sounded to me like we are the ones who've been kicked out of the the hip hop house, you know, which makes sense to me. But but I, but definitely expanding. I mean, look, De La Soul was my gateway into a number of things. Well, you know, I don't. I have to be. I have to be real about it. I'm a I'm a left wing socialist Jewish kid from Western Canada. So the Beastie Boys were my gateway to everything. <laughs> right? but, 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 but through the Beastie Boys, I heard Q-Tip on, on Get It Together from 94. I was at Jewish Socialist Summer Camp every every summer uh, in British Columbia. Now, we'll put aside the fact that it was also a Zionist summer camp because back then we thought you could be left-wing and Zionist. We were still trying to be labor Zionists. We were still laboring under the illusion that somehow these things were not directly contradictory. But we were trying to be the right kind of Zionists, you know, two-state solution Zionists, anti-occupation Zionists, whatever. And we had all these cool-ass counselors coming from the East Coast, these, like, tie-dyed, really awesome, you know, cats from Philly and Boston and New York. And I remember Sarah, who was this counselor I had a crush on, uh, had uh, the Balloon Mind State album. You know, and Bismarcky is on that, mm-hmm. and Dreads from Black Sheep is on that, and Guru is on that from Gangstar, mm-hmm. you know, and then on Jay Stakes Dilla. is High. We, we, we learn who Jay Dilla is on that. Stakes is High, absolutely. Common and Most Death. Common. Most Death. Mm-hmm. I first heard them on Stakes is High, both absolutely just spectacular, spectacular yeah. debut verses, you know. Uh, 
yeah, I mean, Daylog was a pipeline to a lot of things. Now, can I ask you, I, I have a question about the native tongues that I've never yeah. been able to figure out. Okay. So who's in it? Tongues are, <laughs> what's that? Yeah. The native who's tongues in are rolling, it? <laughs> right, well, number one, right, is brand Nubian a member, our leaders of the new school, sort of, right? It's like, mm -hmm. who's a Wu affiliate and who's a core member of the crew. But, but so, you know, the native tongues are rolling strong from 88, you know, doing our own dang and, and buddy and all that through uh, 91 uh, scenario and the, the song that Tribe did with Nubian on that same album and then award tour. Mm. Now we get to 1993. And on Balloon Mind State, Poss in particular has some very withering words about native yes. tongues. He doesn't go into details, yes. but he says in the, in, in the woods, he says that native shit is dead, so the speech is coming. So like yeah. they're rebranding themselves, you know? Yeah. Um, he says, uh, or some tongues who lied and said we'd be natives to the end. Nowadays, we don't even speak on the song I Am, I Be, which is one of the most beautiful songs of all time by anyone. Yeah. Um, and, and what's interesting is that both Q-Tip and Buster Rhymes, you hear their voices on the intro or at least in the little ad libs, you know, I am Q-Tip, I be Friction. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, and Drez is on that album. So it's not like they broke up. But then on stakes is high, he says that's why the native tongues has been officially reinstated. So what happened? Uh, I I saw years. God, what year was this? This had to have been late nineties. De La Soul did a thing at the Upper Room in San Francisco, which sadly no longer exists, um, which was like an all ages club, and they were just speaking. They weren't playing. They were just speaking, and it was filled with people that small little room and someone asked about the native tongues. And I remember Pa saying that there were so many people in it at one point in time, they didn't know who was in the native tongues. Kid and play at one point. They're like, we don't really know them. Um, so there was all these people that were in it. Some people got bigger than others because people forget the females that are part of it. Moni Love. Uh, Queen Latifah becomes a massively big Hollywood star. Right. Um, I don't even think she, when is the last time Queen Latifah even put out a record? Yeah, she became more famous in Hollywood than she became. She ever was yeah. a rapper, M massively. Right. And, and again, that goes back to my whole point. Whoever got into film, you know, those are the cats that that TV. made money and and kind of left their music, with the exception of LL Cool J. I, I really. May not respect him that much politically, but I, I kind of dig what he does on this YouTube show with the with the salute the sample stuff. But um, I don't think they really knew who was all in it. Hmm. Um, I'm sure if you asked each of them, they'd probably give you a different answer. Mm -hmm. um, the core foundation seems to be the main groups that we all talk about: De La Soul, Tribe Called Quest, and Jungle Brothers. But then you ask yourselves, what about? Poor righteous teachers were they a part of it as well or Nubian, Nubian leaders of the new I mean, specula speculation we could have. I mean, I, I don't know the actual obvious reason as to why, but maybe the the, the cultural shift in the music in '93. Oh, don't forget this is when you're seeing you have Elmatic, you have Nas coming up, you got Wu Tang coming around the corner, you got you know the rise of Bad Boy. You know, is you know, with Biggie Smaller first album comes out, so this is a whole, there's a lot of pressure, right? And this is also within two years of the Chronic 
dropping on the West Coast. So there's a whole yeah. cultural shift going yeah. on. So the, the chronic a lot of pressure changes. I, I want to, Daniel. This is I, I want to get your opinion on this and pass. I'm gonna get. I'm just, I'm gonna drop a bomb and I'm gonna walk away. Mm-hmm. I was on tour with a rock band, tour managing, and we're driving somewhere in the middle of America. And the singer goes, Nirvana Nevermind changed everything for music. And me being difficult, um, <laughs> yell out, I disagree wholeheartedly. I don't think it changed anything. Not like the chronic changed the landscape of music sonically because it's mastered so much louder than everything else. And aesthetically, it is a lifestyle change from a gangster's life. There's not a lot of people getting murdered on the chronic, but just nope. the lifestyle of gangster life. Yep. Um, it, it, makes it, a, it makes it a lifestyle brand that really allows itself to be sold in a yep. way that the first NWA records really couldn't. You're, I think you're, you're right about that. I wouldn't be so dismissive of the effect of Nevermind. Um, again, growing up in Vancouver, Canada, just up I-5 from Seattle, when I heard Nevermind, it changed my life. And around that time, I heard Soundgarden and Pearl Jam and Alice in Chains. And what that did was it marked the end of the glam metal era. I mean, Guns N' Roses held on for a year or two after that. But it, it was a significant shift in the rock world. You know, and around the same time, Metallica came out with their eponymous album, which really put an end to the fast thrash metal. So there were changes going on in rock music. And I think you could feel the impact of Nirvana across alternative rock, which then got became corporate rock after Kurt put a bullet in his brain. So I wouldn't be so quick to uh, put pit the two against each other. But speaking about the chronic on its own terms, yes, I was in Israel living on a kibbutz, you know, another socialist leftist Zionist experiment uh, with dubious results. Uh, when the chronic came out, and I was we, I was on a like, Holocaust education tour in Poland when I first heard nothing but a G thing, and my to be quite honest, guys, I've never listened to the chronic all the way through. I can't. There's something about it that I find so unpleasant. It sounds amazing, and some of the songs I love, like "Stranded on Death Row," that past posse cut, "Lady of Rage," and "RBX" and "Daz." Just listening to these, just the and and Snoop's voice, you know. But some, but what it is, it's an exaltation album. It's a yeah, you know, from the very first song. It's sneering. It's mean. It's and now that's it's also amazing, right? I don't love Dre as a rapper, so anytime he's rapping, I'm waiting for Snoop to come on. But the way they talk about women <laughs> on that album was the first time I really there was a kind of nastiness to it that felt. Uh, dangerously hostile. Well, I guess NWA did the same thing, but they were kind of like an alternative group. Well, they were a lot worse. It's true. But there was just something about the chronic that I was intimidated by, I guess you could say. And sonically, it changed absolutely everything. Um, I think Wu-Tang changed things too, but it more Wu-Tang expanded the palette for what creative, like weirdo hip hop could be. Uh, weirdo sampling, but Dre's mastering of the art of taking G, you know, George Clinton and making it into G-Funk, uh, it's unfathomable what that 
change. But yeah, I've actually never fully managed to like listen to that entire album all the way through. Songs like Little Get a Boy, I love Stranded on Death Row, um, others. Um, I was never a huge fan of nothing but a G thing. Um, it took me a while to get into West Coast rap around that time, you know, but Tupac was sort of the way that I did just because of his, his personal charisma and his vulnerability and his, his dramatist ability. But no, no, no argument for me there that The Chronic is crucial. But speaking of the West Coast, I would also say another group doesn't exist without native tongues is The Far Side. Far Side. Yeah. I'm glad you said that. Mm-hmm. I love, I love, yeah. I was a huge fan of The Far Side when yeah, it first came out. Yeah. Also self-deprecating, uh, much like yeah. De La Soul. Pass to me by is the most is the most oh. it's, the, it's the biggest incel out anthem. <laughs> we do we bump that stuff you know to to no end, and uh, it's it's again it's funny. Uh, for those that don't believe me, I don't know if it has the same effect if you're streaming, but if you had the chronic tape, yeah, or CD, we had tapes right, and you put that in the car. Volume had to go way down, right? Because this is when the mastering wars get in. That's that could be a whole other show, but uh, it's just so crispy, and you hear every instrument, and that snare snaps so hard when you hear the chronic. And this isn't to crap on the native tongues, it's just that for me, just judging it from uh, a person that critiques eras, right. There's almost a death nail that you get with the sampling world because also they're not dealing with the same lawsuits. You know, Biz gets sued around uh, De La Soul is Dead Time that just destroys that album mm-hmm. when he samples just Spring Again. And you weren't just going to go in and layer uh, sounds anymore, uh, uh, samples anymore. And when when the chronic comes out, granted, it's using a lot of this Parliament Funkadelic stuff, but this stuff's getting replayed. Um, it just sonically, there's no pops. You know, some of those De La Soul samples, which again, these are songs I love. They are ingrained in my DNA. You can hear it sounds like bacon frying. <laughs> the song starts because <laughs> the records are so old. And maybe I didn't appreciate that, the artistry of finding these gems and, and hearing that bacon fried lets you know, like, hey, this is a real deal, old first edition that you're hearing right here. Because, again, 15, 16-year-old Jason is hearing uh, Snoop Dogg, and it's like, whoa. Yeah, there's Dela no- does not... Yeah, Dela does not bump in the whip in the same way. I mean, that, that's no. the chronic set no. the standard. But I do feel like by the time we get to Balloon Mind State, that's a that's a clean album. That's a beautiful. That's jazz. There's flutes yes. on it. There's Maceo Parker. It's it's got yes. really tasty like 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 it's almost like some of the beats are almost played with brushes. You can hear the you know. Also, you don't get diggable planets with that. Then, by the way, not for nothing. You know, and Home is one of the greatest albums of all time. Great album. I, I, I do like the second one a little bit more. I'm, oh, by, I, by far. It's much deeper. It's more subversively yes. radical. They're shouting out, you know, Chairman Mao and... Uh, and the syncopation and, of the drums. And, and the, yeah, yeah, it's incredible. And the three, and you, you, you have to listen because their, their vocals are mixed. 
kind of just under the surface of the water, you know, so you have to really mm -hmm. dig in. Um, by the time you get to Stakes Aside, they, they were going back to a more spare boom bap kind of aesthetic. Like I just remember them when I first heard the business with Common, you know, how does it start? It starts with, uh, I think it's Pasta's voice or maybe it's saying, you know, and bass up the track a little bit because I really want to hear that. You know, it's the, you know it's the sample from Craig Mack. Oh wow, that's right. And Is then it comes in. Mm -hmm. yeah. 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 And, and it's so uh I think that album is great for the car, but no, there's no it's a different it's a whole different world. Well let, let, let me let me ask you two OGs this question. I, I I'm gonna ask all three of you OGs this question. So again, I'll reference Justin Hunt brought this up. Hopefully MT uh will uh drop some links to Justin Hunt's work in the comments for the show. But uh he had an episode where he talks to Ninth Wonder. And Ninth Wonder says 1996 is a very important year because Stakes is High comes out around the same time as Nas is written. And Nas's second record is, is a sonic departure from the first one. Premiere is disappeared. All these old classic jazz samples are gone. And there's like Trackmasters beats. And again, back to this crispy production we're talking about, put in Illmatic, put in It Was Written, totally different sounding records from yes. that opening Sting sample that he has on the first, the first song Nas has. Oh, right, yeah, Shape of My Heart. Uh, but what Ninth Wonder says is this departure for Nas is a departure for a lot of hip-hop fans because now there becomes two camps in rap. Yes. The boom-bap guys... And this more poppy sounding, radio friendly sounding. And also at the same time, you have the Communications Act, which allows corporations to own several media companies. So as these corporations are owning several media companies at the same time, music does change as far as what we hear ad nauseum. You guys are both alive at the same time. Pascal, you're a little older than us, so I want to know for you if this is even a bigger watershed moment. Because is this is this a moment where you go, I'm not listening to this new stuff, and I'm staying parked uh, in my in my '90s bag. I'm not gonna lie, because you got to remember, my introduction to hip hop goes back to the late '70s, and I I see all this stuff going in coming in because you know my my older cousin was a DJ. By '96, I'm kind of frustrated with. The bad boy records turn, to be frankly. I mean, a lot of that that jiggy jiggy stuff, I didn't like that stuff very much, man. I felt it was kind of over the top. I I was just this it was like glam hip hop to me. The whole you know, all of the way that they were marketing, you know, the whole uh kind of like jiggy jiggy lifestyle of uh that came with Biggie and Bad Boy, that kind of turned me off. I like I like Nas' second album very much, but also this is around the time where you have the East Coast West Coast beef. That's another factor that you see that going on. So this, at this period of time, I'm becoming very frustrated with all every aspect of hip hop. What year does do Biggie? What year is Biggie assassinated? Is that ninety six? Ninety seven. Ninety seven. Uh, yeah. Yeah, Life After Death came out in ninety seven. So, so I'm seeing. All of this kind of like shift in terms of the music, 
and I think that's the beginning of when I start to kind of pull back and was like, yo, this is getting a little too much. Mm. Yeah. Well, I think the observation that 96 is a watershed moment and, and or a, a splitting of the, you know, fork in the road moment is really astute for a number of reasons. I mean, all eyes on me also comes out in that year. And all eyes on me marks, a, a, you know, a departure from Tupac's sort of more vulnerable side on me against the world. So he just embraces the Suge Knight world. And it, it's very, you know, that's right when it ends him as well. That whole world, he gets, he gets consumed by it and, and taken down. Um, and, and De La threw their gauntlet down. They said it, you know. I mean, Paz had already said it. Fuck being hard. News is complicated. But Dave is actually the one who has the entire verse on Stakes is High. You know, I'm sick of bitches shaking asses. I'm sick of talking about blunts. I'm sick of Versace glasses. That's, he's talking about the Jiggy era. And really, Mace and Puffy were really more like 97, 98. But, you know, Dave was laying it down. And a lot of people took offense. Like, a lot of people were like, they love missing us, which is very snowflakey, I think. You got to let Dela be Dela. But there is a splitting of the ways because a couple of years later, you have, I think it's the, that's the genesis of backpack rap. I think Stakes is High might be the first backpack rap album because now Most Def is on the scene. Now Common Sense, that's who he was at the time, and I prefer Common Sense to Common personally, um, <laughs> as a name and as a, and as a, a performer. You have Lyricist Lounge coming soon. You have Company Flow coming soon. And there's no company flow without De La Soul. I feel like Paz de Noose is sort of a, 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 in some ways, a spiritual predecessor of, of LP, you know, along with RZA. Uh, and, uh, and, sort of, and then, you know, now you're into the, the, the raucous records and deaf jokes and all that, and you're off to the races, and that's just on a different planet. That's on a different asteroid than what was going on in mainstream hip-hop. Meanwhile, in the, on the other road, you've got 50 Cent coming, you've got... Uh, the 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 melding of rap and R and B with Nelly and whoever else you know because I, I did stop listening around that time I remember in the summer of '96 it actually felt like something was ending and I remember that actually Beats Rhymes in Life Tribe Called Quest's fourth album or yeah fourth album came out right around the same time as Stakes Is High and I remember the two reviews of those two albums in Rolling Stone. Beats Rhymes Life was given four stars, I think, maybe four and a half. Takes as High was given two. And the, the reviewer said something like, uh, you know, rather than sticking to their bohemian roots, De La Soul decides to wax old, old school. And they called out, you know, that one kind of dumb line from Super MCs where Paz says, uh, you know, projecting like you're hard, but in fact, you're quite vaginal. You know, and he, and then and the the rapper said, and the reviewer says, "Meanie," you know, little buddy reference. But I was like, "What are you talking about? This album is perfect." And meanwhile, beats rhymes in life felt to me like the end of Tribe. I could just tell they were there was no cohesion between Tip yeah. and Five. You could really feel it after after Midnight Marauders, and uh, and and the Far Side came out with Lab Cab in California, which felt unfocused. It's got had some great tracks, especially the Dilla tracks. But but they're not working with uh, Chase Swift. No, they're not working with Jay Stiff, and they're not working together as well. It doesn't have that, like they're trying to adjust because they can't just be fun and and frenetic and 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 goofy anymore. Because so they're everyone's struggling to find a lane, and I felt like most groups 
unlike Dela, weren't able to stick that landing in that moment. And you could just, and then, you know, and Wu-Tang was doing more and more solo projects. I guess their solo projects stayed very solid through 96, Iron Man, although that was my least favorite of the first ones. But, you know, and then Forever comes out the next year, which has a lot of kind of cookie cutter woo beats done by, done by Riz's like, you know, in like his subordinates. It's got some, <laughs> obviously, it's got some great stuff, but you could take Wu-Tang Forever and slice it in a third and you'd have a classic album. So anyway, what am I saying? There were a lot of great ones losing focus, and I felt that way about it was written. I mean, a song like I Gave You Power is stands the test of time. A lot of that other stuff... I don't know. Uh, meanwhile, Outcast is coming up, and and now there's the third power center. Now we have a tripolar <laughs> power system yeah. in the in the geopolitics of hip hop. Because now the South has something to say, right? The South so, has something very important to say. Pa- Pascal, do you want to add something real quick? Yeah, no. Let me tell you something. The, al- the album that I was banging hard from ninety six, ninety seven. Was Red Man Muddy Waters? I was, ooh, 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 ooh. That was my joint. And there's another tribe line. Red Man's in the scenario video. That's true. That's true. You know, you know Red Man, and I was heavy. I was heavy. In, I was always a big Wu Tang fan, but I was heavy into Wu Tang. And where I might dis, uh, disagree with Daniel, only because of my experience. When Wu Tang Forever came out, I was like at the peak of hanging out with my buddies in law school, and that was just like, oh my god, cats were losing their mind. Wow, mind when Wu Tang Forever came out. You know, Obamatomically, Socrates philosophy. Come on, I'm not talking about triumph. I'm talking about like ODB. Oh, triumph, triumph, triumph. It, it, it was, was triumph, it, triumph. Yeah, look. but I'm talking about there was some filler on that album, like ODB's song "Dog Shit" and "You Gods" like black shampoo or whatever. Like there was some stuff that was just it, you know, <laughs> like the good stuff was some of their best, and some of the beats I didn't think it didn't have RZA's uh, mad scientist vibe as much as the first one did. But how can it? It's four years later. There's too much. There's too there much too volume much. coming out of that RZA. camp, and if you yes. think about hip-hop and who can stand the test of time in hip-hop the hip it's it's interesting because let's let's go in the way back machine and remember what was happening to the people that came before de la soul that native tongues blow up caused a hippie happy rap scene to come you have umcs um you know kmd pm don pm don <laughs> comes out of that scene pm don is a is a direct if you want to know what it looks like when something hits and record labels go yeah you kid you can do it too pm don <laughs> looks like that as much as I, I like you know what they did later after they they the, their first record die without you still knocks i was going to say die without you's beautiful song um that <laughs> might be the precursor to all these singy rap guys um, but De La Soul and the success of the native tongues, and we have to put success in some kind of inverted quotes, does kind of destroy that first wave of hip hop. And it feels like the chronic starts to be the thing that chips away 
at native tongues because after that you have things like Daz effects. Mm-hmm. And also when I say the Wayback Machine, let's go back and remember what hip hop journalism looked like at the time and how these people were being reported. I was talking to Tucson about this. When Daz effects came out with their album Straight From The Sewer, the thing about them was they were linguistics majors. I forget what school they went to in Virginia. It was the fact that they went to college that made them dope. They went to a Virginia tickety, tickety tech. <laughs> shout, out, shout out to probably one of the greatest duos in hip hop who puts on, who puts on, who was correlated with Das Effects, who's also correlated with Redman, EPMD. EPMD. EPMD is, is really, I mean, talk about underrated. Talk about yes. underrated in terms and of understated. Late, yeah. late 80s hip hop. Yeah. Is, is they talk about people who don't get their flowers, man. These cats are responsible for so many great acts and so many great, so much great music that was in their crew. Now, their crew didn't particularly have, I mean, what they what they called Def Squad. What was the name of the crew that was with uh, yes, Def, Def Squad? Def Squad, Squad. Ace and uh, wasn't he part Def of that? Squad was definitely no, uh, 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 K Solo, Red Man. Hurricane G, Keith, Keith Murray. Keith Murray. Craig the Madden. Youngsters. <laughs> the Illy Funksters. The Illy Funksters. That, that was, I mean, that was a little bit before, that was definitely before Native Tongues. I would make the argument that Death Squad is really the first time that posse thing comes out and people are like, whoa. This is like. No, surreal. you got your Where posse. They- the, sym- the symphony. The symphony. The, the symphony, symphony that, shit, that was not real. That was okay. The symphony was an album, a song. Okay, that was that was uh, Mel. That Marley, was uh, Melly Mel. Marley Marl. Marley Marl. Marley Marl. Craig G. Big Daddy Kane. Yeah. One of my favorite hip hop cuts of all time. One of the greatest hip hop songs of all time. But it didn't really produce an ethos. As a collective, like like EPMD and that crew did, you know, because you had a lot of albums, a lot of singles that came out with all those guys afterwards. You know, the Symphony, no question, is an, an incredible uh, song, and uh, the the collaboration was memorable without a doubt. But Death Squad Man was just well. Let's. Cool. I mean, since we're on this tip, there's somebody we haven't brought up yet that I'm sure in the comments when this show goes live Saturday, we're gonna get crapped on. Pete Rock. Mm. Oh, Pete Rock is another through line between all these groups because remember, don't curse. Heavy D, mm-hmm. Q-Tip, CL Smooth, Coogee Rap. Um, uh, heavy, uh, heavy D also to me is oh, is somewhat adjacent to this sound. Yeah, that's um, true. And without Pete also Rock, also adjacent to Bad Boy. Without Pete Rock, there's no Nas. I mean, Nas is sure. on Illmatic. You know, about half, yeah. you know, a third of it is Pete Rock. And uh, no, for sure. I mean, and there's a whole stream of rappers we haven't talked about, like Cool G Rap and and even KRS, Boogie Down Productions. There were these sort of almost like free agents who were kind of roaming around doing their thing, mm-hmm. representing their own skills and collaborating with just about everybody, but they weren't affiliated so much. 
with a particular crew. And, and then there's Gangstar, right? Premier and... Ooh, we haven't Guru. even mentioned Premier and Gangstar, you know. Yeah, well, Guru, we mentioned that Guru was on uh, Patty Duke on, on Balloon Wednesday. But yeah, no, Premier is, uh, again, these individual craftsmen, these artisans who were each creating a sound that would be hugely influential. This large professor, right? Main source. I was just about recently to found out are, they're half Canadian or two thirds Canadian. Like, like I didn't know that. Get, Get out of here. Yeah. Remember when, when Large Professor says, fuck them two DJs in Keeping It Rolling by yeah. Quest? He's talking about the Toronto contingent of. <laughs> <laughs> I did not know that. Yeah. Well, you know, he used yeah. to go to Canada all the time. My friends, uh, Living Legends, used to go to uh, Vancouver all the time. So, okay. Depending on where you were in Vancouver, you might have saw them in the. In I, the first saw the, I first saw I first saw Latirix in Vancouver. I mean, Vancouver was a destination oh. for all of the, yeah. the quantum MCs and and all that yes. for sure. Yes, um, very yes. We knew we knew all those dudes, um, as well as as my good friend who comes on this show. If you you guys have watched the show, Coach Will, that was his first intern job in college when he went to Cal was interning at Quantum. Uh, writing, uh, trying to write press releases with Jeff Chang and <laughs> and, and getting to know those dudes. Um, no, the the '90s for me is probably this really magical era of hip hop. I'm sure there's some young people that think the 2010s are great, and that they should think that if that's the era you came up in. But uh, just remembering what was all coming out. Like, what did you want to say, Tucson? I'm sorry. Oh, I said no. They shouldn't. It's been evaluated many, many times. We have a golden era. We have one. Um, same with comic books. We know what it is. Uh, I just wanted to say about 1996. Um, in the beginning of the golden era, we were all together, and it felt good. We were listening to the same things, but then we came to like a river and a bridge. And on the other side of the bridge were shiny suits and cocaine. And some of us... <laughs> <laughs> Sadly, <laughs> some the of cocaine us, was always there. You just didn't... They didn't cocaine, wrap that's true, right? But more cocaine and out in the open. Um, and some of us were going to cross that bridge because that music was pop and that music was accessible, like literally accessible. If mm -hmm. you wanted to stay behind and stay in a native tongues kind of lane, that's underground. Now you have to look for it. Now you have to listen to college radio. Now you have to be up at one in the morning for Hot 97 to listen to um, Stretch and Bobbito. That's work. Now you have to work for it. And I think a lot of people in Pascal's age group were like, we're not working for it. We never had to work for it before. You go to the tree to mix a metaphor. You pick the fruit, you eat it, right? It was never difficult for them. They didn't have to work. Um, but then when you hit the shiny suit era, it goes pop and it's everywhere. It's easier to just give up and listen to Escobar, even though you know what Nas used to be. It's easier to listen to Mace, even though you don't like it. And then you're also kind of maligned if you're going to listen to uh, what they call backpack rap. It's it's not as cool. Yeah. No, I like backpack rap. I like well, that stuff because let's, again, you have to remember these. Let's look at these seminal albums: ninety-one to ninety-three. Uh, De La Soul is dead. Low in theory. Come on. Uh, ninety-three till infinity. 
It's a great album. Right. Uh, Bizarre Ride to the Far Side. Inner City Griots by uh, Freestyle Fellowship. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of ver- the coup, Kill My Landlord, Saphir, Boxcar Sessions. There's a lot of interesting, uh, the first Outcast record, uh, Southern Playalistic. Is is like 93, 94. Um, there's a lot of interesting music yes. that's coming out um, in this era. And a group that uh, there was a group from the from Atlanta that actually predates um, Outkast. And I can't remember their name off the top oh, of my Goody head. Mob. Goody Mob had some members in it, but they were called Y'all So Stupid came out around 92 that's you might have to go into the hip-hop encyclopedia to remember those dudes they were on the wow Um, and and you know there's a lot of kind of creative cool shit coming out in this in this time frame and the reason why i say the chronic is so is so important because just sonically all that stuff goes away the colorful clothes goes away smiling in pictures goes away you know go into Pascal, your photo albums before 1993 and tell me how you looked in your pictures and what was in your hands. Probably a 40 ounce. After 93, everybody's got a 40. Ain't nobody smiling. I think that smiling in public is against the law. Love don't get you through life no more is one of the most incredible couplets in hip hop history. And that's Dave speaking on it in 1996. That's that hit me really. I remember we were having a conversation about that in San Jose, California. We went to go meet Peanut Butter Wolf, me and DJ Plattern, many moons ago, and talking about nobody smiles anymore. And we were looking through a friend's photo album. And we were noticing, we're like, damn, look at all these 1991 pictures. Everybody looked happy to be there. And then after 91, it's just like, nah, man. Everything, everywhere is a ghetto. Okay, where you <laughs> the is a Goody Mob also said people don't dance no more. That was a big thing dance. I noticed too because after the nineties, no one's dancing at all. Remember when rappers had to dance? I remember dancing, that. or at least have dancers. At least have like the De La had dancers on the Arsenio. Actual I mean, Digital Underground gives you the Humpty Hump. Yep. Mm-hmm. You know, let's not forget Digital Underground's importance in this as well, because while Dayla is literally doing their own thing on the other side of the planet, Digital Underground is doing something extremely similar, where they're playing with funk music and jazz, and not doing the okie doke. As everybody else is doing, as Pascal explained, the deaf beat, they're doing their own thing, which is why I, I actually watched a really interesting conversation with uh, De La Soul and uh, Nori, and they were talking about a beef they had with Tupac. And I don't know if you know about this, Pascal. I heard about that. Um, apparently, Tupac thought that the um, ego tripping video was a diss on um, Get Around. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't. They were friends. And Poss tells a story about being in San Francisco and a dude walking up on him 
asking him why he dissed KRS One, and Pops is like, I've never dissed. He's like, KRS One is a goat to me. Why would you say that? And he was like, Well, you said this one line. That means you dissed KRS One. And he said, Tupac ran up, calmed the dude down, sent the dude away. And he said they said they were always friends. They were always cool. He, he said he tried to squash it, and and sadly, he said Pac passed away uh, before they could officially uh, squash the sort of misunderstanding they had. But um, you, you know, those guys go back to when Tupac was dancing for for Digital Underground. In the, I remember that. Uh, that song was huge when I was in college, man. The Humpty Dance. Dance is your chance. High school. Uh, we, did, we danced for that at the at the at high school dance in you know west vancouver canada in, in it was on the radio and you know and it had all the steps and it was you know but get it but it was like naughtier it was way naughtier than anything else you know getting busy in a burger king bathroom this is also the time, <laughs> hell but yeah this is, but this is Classic also the thing, you, know, you know um my hump and it's 69 my humpty nose will tickle your rear like they didn't, yeah. they didn't they didn't bleep that out uh this is also the time when you start having like dance instructional songs on the radio that aren't really a dance. It's just one verb, bounce, yeah. jump around, yeah. jump, you know, yep. uh, just, it's just very simple. Everyone can do it. Um, yeah. No, I, I, I still think that, you know, that's still a, a magical era of, of hip hop. Um, maybe it's just my age speaking. I don't care, no but way. <laughs> I don't think we need to squash the idea that anything interesting came out in the 2010s. In some ways, it was a renaissance. It doesn't match the golden era. Yeah. But, right. you know, but Kendrick coming along doing genuinely new things, even before he was doing what he's doing these days. Uh, Do you like Kendrick Pascal? Of course, with Dre's help, I think the Black Hippie Collective, the Black Hippie Collective, Absol, yeah. J-Rock, um, Schoolboy Q and Kendrick, they are direct uh, descendants yes. of Nate Jones, whatever yes. you want to say yes. about them. I yes. think Danny, Danny Brown so coming, up, coming along, yeah. you know, Danny doing Brown, yeah. like, you know, bringing the, the Buster Rhymes ODB kind of married with Roger Rabbit class clown <laughs> thing, run the mm -hmm. jewels, finding them, finding each other and, 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 uh, you know, and right. doing what they did. Obviously, not, I, I, I love that because they're my age. And mm -hmm. to be able to find that success in your 40s after you've paid your dues and yes. paid them and paid them and paid them and paid them. Yes. Um, you know, I, I think that there's something to be said that the past decade had some reasons to smile and some reasons to pay attention. But yeah. there, you cannot, you can't have anything in the streaming era that matches what was going on in the music business back when there was a music business in the golden era of hip hop. It just, mm -hmm. it, it'll never be replicated. It, so I saw, and maybe this is time we should start wrapping it up. I, the, I, I worked at all these music festivals and I never cared to watch an artist. And there was one year, and this festival no longer exists, sadly. It was called FYF or the Fuck Yeah Fest. And it was in Southern California where the Coliseum is. And I was stuck in an office and I missed every performer I wanted to see. And I wanted to see Bjork. She was going to be there. I was, all, I, I was like trying to make time. Miss Bjork because I got stuck in this office. Finally, a very nice young lady grabs me and goes, you're coming with me. Tribe Call Quest is playing right now. Have you ever seen Tribe Call Quest? I said, no, I've never seen them live. She goes, I got a perfect spot. We can watch it behind this one bar. I know you hate crowds. You won't be bothered. Go run, 
watch Tribe play on, I don't even think it was the main stage. and Maybe it was the main stage. And this is after Fife died. This is Fife has just passed away earlier this year. Yeah, this was 2017, 2018. I was at this festival. And, you know, on my festival calendar of where I'm going, I'm going to see Tribe like three more times, allegedly. So I'm, I'm watching the show and they're killing it. And so when the Fife parts come on, there's a video screen. And usually they, they just play the video of Fife rapping, you know, so electric relaxation. They're playing the video and consequence and Jerobi are you know doing background right and they did their they actually did like an encore which is weird for festivals because you don't have that much time and they broke down and started crying hmm. yeah and they started doing this fife chant and everybody everybody I had a pretty good you know, view of this massive crowd of people, not a dry eye, mm. you know, in the 50, 60, 70,000 people. I remember was there and a smiling, tearful, full eye because, you know, you're watching, we watch what would be the long performance. Well, imagine what's going to happen next time Mason Paws are on a stage and, I don't like, know if they can do it, man. It's, I, don't, I, I don't think they'll ever. I don't. Yeah. I don't think they'll ever do a concert. But I just feel like there will be a moment where, where there will be a moment show. Where with, with them and a crowd, and 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 the memory. You know what I love most about that last Tribe album? Um, it's a hit and miss album, but it's very interesting and cool mm-hmm. and very creative. It's very, yeah. it's you know, uh, just very, you know, following their muse. Uh, but besides Fife, who killed every time Busta Rhymes is there in a very subdued native tonguesy kind of supporting role taking a step back from his roided up let me show you how fast <laughs> I can rap you know <laughs> like like reminding me of just and he's just kind of he's like he's like he feels like Fife's bodyguard or or, or buddy mm-hmm. or whatever and he's just he's got his little voice and he's doing his little thing like on that song Solid Wall of Sound and him him and Fife are doing the patois thing it's uh, it it felt like a, it was like a, a return to a kind of sweet side of him that I hadn't seen in forever. Well, he becomes lovely. Buster Rhymes, this mega That's star right. in That's the right. late '90s, by just those Hype Williams videos. Who hot? Right. That was a song. That was a song that really took him to the next level. He, he's yeah. he's With that, he um, takes off so far beyond what we thought the native tongues could do because again this is this is a different time we all know these groups you grab anyone in our age range they know these groups maybe didn't own the records but you know these groups because not all those guys went platinum Actually, very few well, of them. Get it Buster Rhymes is a legitimately banging MC yeah, yeah. still he, Still. he is also native tongues. I will say that. Yeah, of course. Yes. Yeah. He's, he's the he's the highlight scenario scenario. He's got to be. That's true. You know who? Yeah. But, but you know what? Buster Rhymes is not the most surprising member of the contingents we've talked about today to go multi platinum. Oh no! Not by a long shot. You know who is? Who? CeeLo Green. Mm. That would have been unthinkable to me that CeeLo CeeLo Good is going to be writing. Mm-hmm. Pop songs that grandmothers are singing along to at weddings. Yeah. No, 
never going to happen. Yeah. And yeah. Yeah. And then yeah. I got to, and then I got to see Gritty Mob at Sony Hall in New York City last May, and he was back to being CeeLo Goody and the four of them together. It was like a spiritual. It was a ceremony. It was so. It was so amazing uh, to see the four of them. It was. Uh, it was a real privilege. I also saw Rayquan and Ghostface at the same venue, and they had and they were all, they were both singing like crooning R and B shit. They had a live band. <laughs> And like, like doing slow jams, like talking to the crowd, like ten minutes at a time. It was, it was, it was a real loungy kind of uh, middle-aged experience. <laughs> I, 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 some of the best shows I've ever seen. You know, I played. Uh, you probably don't know this, Daniel. I played metal and punk music for years, but you know, some of my best show experiences and and things I remember vividly, like the best shows I ever attended. There's a place in San Francisco called the Maritime Hall, which sadly no longer exists. And uh, when I we we did a live show in New York recently, and I stayed with some friends from high school, and uh, they're huge hip hop fans. Shout out to uh, to Nick and Sky. Um, and we're sitting, you know, he's driving me to the venue where we're going to do the live show, and we're talking about some of the best shows we ever went to. And we realized we were both at this one show. It was Black Eyed Peas coming off their first record, and we had known them many moons ago i don't know them anymore um and they invited who, us who and and they yeah i don't know those dudes anymore. I, I, that's a story for another time but uh uh they were opening for uh outcast when Aquim and I came out that was to this day one of the best shows i've ever seen in my life hip-hop show from start to finish oh my God, Outcast was performing with a live band. Uh, this is what 98, 99 blew me away. Yeah. And uh, that whole Southern Click, them and Goody Mob, Killer Mike is a part of it as well. Um, what was the name of the crew that was made? The Dungeon Family that was making all those beats. Yeah. And then UGK, UGK kind of adjacent to them. Oh, all, I, I liked a lot of that Southern stuff. To oh, me, it yeah, just kind of resonated. Maybe the, the draw reminded me of my my Southern family, but um, I, I definitely dug a lot of like and the, the music was organic. The the, the beats were really organic. Like the, Eight Ball you know, the, and JG. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I don't know if you liked all that Southern stuff too, Pascal. Some of it I liked. I, some of it I, I liked Outkast, Goody Mob. I'm still a big fan of Ti. Uh, so some of it. Mm. You know, hmm. was very um my man Nachia, also from Atlanta. Oh my god, come on, light skinned brother. What is his name? Dallas Austin? No, not ludicrous. Rap. Not ludicrous. Not ludicrous. 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 Okay. ludicrous. Yeah. Another cat doesn't get his flowers. Ludicrous is a banging MC, man. He's really talented, yeah. He's, well, he's he knows, southern he knows how to he knows how to write a, a crowd pleaser. That's what he does. He writes crowd pleasing mm-hmm. anthems par excellence. Without being too stupid about it, but he and he's clever and funny and yeah. Can you admit? Can you admit as a composer how hard that is to do? I think people think it's easy. Oh God, I don't write pop songs. I don't write. I mean, I write musical theater primarily. Mm-hmm. Um, one one credit one credit on my resume that you didn't mention is I'm a two time finalist karaoke championship of New York City, but that's, that's something else. <laughs> wow. that's, that's, but as a composer, I play, yeah. 
Hip hop karaoke, which is spread far and wide, started in the Lower East Side, and I was at the original event. I rapped as RDJ. I wonder if you can tell why. That's what that's the name they gave me. Uh, <laughs> for my for my celebrity lookalike, and uh, McDaniel's kicked me out of the first round oh! of the first uh, of the first uh, championship because of a woo-ha, a cat in the hat, Doctor Seuss uh, hat, and a big oversized thing, and I was just going <laughs> nuts. Like I tried to and you know, uh, I forget who the other judges were. Uh, Drez was a judge, I think, the following year. But anyway, Ralph McDaniel says in front of the entire Highline Ballroom, RDJ, if you ever run up on me in a dark alley, I will shoot you in self-defense. And then he, <laughs> and then he, and then he very low, and I got booted out. So <laughs> but anyway, as a composer, it's hard to, to, especially to write a crowd pleaser that moves things forward. Like think of a song like Rosa Parks or Bombs Over Baghdad, just to just to stay with Outkast. Those things had never been done before. They'd never been done before, and yet it's as if they were like retrofitted from the future to be the banger of that summer whenever they came out. A song with harmonica and hand claps and a breakdown, you know, with a with a, everybody moved. To the back of the bus, which I think actually pissed at the time. <laughs> and also, bombs over Baghdad has a totally problematic hook. Don't don't bang unless you plan to hit something. They were talking about how the U.S. was like flying over Baghdad and not hitting every anything. Like hell, they yeah. were. Mm. Yeah, but anyway, that, that aside, we're not gonna we're not gonna. Writing a song that is not pandering to what's already come because Will is always just aping, like getting jiggy, doing the jiggy thing, something boom, boom, shake the room, he's aping LL. But to do a pleasing hit that's moving something forward and forward, only special artists can do that. Naughty by nature, that's a very good example. OPP, hip hop, hooray, hip -hop, hooray for sure. No, there's another. What's the other one they had? Um, I liked Uptown Anthem. I don't know uh, if it was that big though. There's another. There's another uh, big song they had. Here we guns go now. Uptown Baby. New York, New York. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> with the with the yeah. with the Steely Dan sample, and they got and they and Steely Dan suited yeah, Black Cow. Yeah, Black yes. Cow. But you know who you know who used the best black of all time is MF Doom. Who on Gat? F Doom on Gastrols. Um, I got to re-listen to that. Yeah, I think yeah they took the he takes yeah. part of the the instrumental bridge of Black Cow and mm. just um, it's beautiful. But of course, who did it first? Bring it all the way full circle. De La Soul on I. And they said, three feet high and rising. Where does the title of that album come from? A fucking Johnny Cash sample. <laughs> who does that? Ever. Who does that ever? Never mind 1989. They were just, they were taking so much stuff. Prince Paul, you know, we haven't mentioned his name, which is sad in this show. Prince Paul has to get a lot of props he because he is taking stuff that has no business working together. Break of Dawn 
which is one of my favorite sampled songs. Unbelievable. With that Michael Jackson, I can't help it. Plus, Smokey and the, and the Bray Robinson and the Smokey Robinson. Yeah, that's a great one. You put on. I I wish we could play the music without getting the copyright hit, you know. But man, it makes you go run back. I don't know if you're the same type of person. I feel like you are, Daniel, and go find the original songs. Oh yeah, and and play some of these original songs because uh, when you hear the way they take it or slow it down, like when LL was showing how how uh Hiro slows down and where they take the 93 till infinity sample from you don't even recognize the song that they take it from wanna, if you ever want to have your mind blown go uh look you know that there's there's djs who will do an album samples like yeah. they'll cross cut on youtube so the only cube built for cuban links album you know the song ice water yeah that really mm-hmm. slow one with uh, with Capadonna, uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Go look at where that comes from and, and what, what RZA did to get that that one little moment. I mean, RZA's. I think as far as sampling goes, transforming things mm-hmm. and hiding them. Yeah. Out, like any, you could listen to the opening of "I Can't Help It." And be like, I can imagine, but but RZA is a collage artist. He's he's like he he he, he takes like found objects. Mm-hmm. Sticks them together and mm-hmm. creates beats. Mm-hmm. So no, I love I love digging in the crates metaphorically because there are no crates anymore. But I love I love you know looking for I love sample moments. I love finding out where things come from. Oh man, sure. I, I well it took me forever to realize that so many tears is Stevie Wonder that girl, a Tupac. Doom, doom, my favorite. Wow, my favorite Stevie Wonder sample thing, which I actually spotted, and it's possible. Here's another RZA thing. Shimmy. Shimmy up. Is a Stevie Wonder sample? Listen, that is the hook code. You go to um, knocks me off. The the piano opening. Rizza took the first notes and sequenced them, and I figured it out just from the timber of the piano, and then I checked it, and it was correct, and I. Gave myself a big backpack, but, but it's—I mean—that's just another. That's, that's, that's one of the only incredible things. That's one of the only songs I can play on the piano. <laughs> <laughs> pretty good at it. I'm pretty good at it. <laughs> I mean, look, we could go, you we could while go down a, a sample rabbit hole because that also. Well, let's back do that another day, time. Back should, to Daylight. Yeah. Those those digging in the crates, cats. Diamond D, Beat Nuts. Um, Beat Nuts is native tongues too, by the way. Beat Nuts is definitely native tongues. The the the, the edgier native tongues. Mm. But we off the books this yeah, well, year. Oh, yeah. We'll play that tip shouting oh, them out on, on low end theory. Beat Nuts is in. That's the right. House. Uh, Dante Ross, A and R Extraordinaire, the scrub who. Uh, do you know Dante? I was because you're East. Are you? You're in the East Coast now. I do not know him, but all I know is that uh, that we all know that Dante was a scrub. <laughs> he has a lot to do with like the 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 Hyro guys all getting those uh, jive deals, you know. Uh, um, yeah, yeah. Uh, and we haven't again, mentioned, we haven't mentioned boot, boot Camp Click. 
why haven't we mentioned boot camp? Who well, because I think because I, um, I think on. we would have to be going off of seeding the conversation from Wu Tang because that's where boot camp comes from. I mean, in, ter in, in terms of inspiration. But back back to that ninety two year, who got the props? No doubt. No doubt. That oh, was a jam. Well, you're I mean, right, that, and that's the Wu Tang. So what am I talking that, about? But... Yeah. 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 Black Black Moon, uh, and those remixes that they did a few years after that, like 94, 93, I Got You Open, and um, mm -hmm. what's the other remix, Toussaint, that Black Moon does? Besides I Got You Open, who got the props? There's mm. another remix. Bucktown? But, is that them? That's Smith & Wesson, right? Buck em okay. Down. Buck em Down. Woo! You remember that? Yes. <laughs> How old are you, four? You remember Buckingham? No. Down? <laughs> if you remember Buckingham, it's down, hypnotic. If you remember Buckingham, down, you know what that means? Tucson had the maxi single. Get out of here. <laughs> I had a tape that a friend made for me. Shout out to Killika. Dude, hope you get out down. one day. I'm gonna go listen to that right now. Also, like Great Souls song. and all those dudes used to used to do remixes, remixes yeah. that were like totally different songs, and then they throw a song in. So if you bought the the maxi single of something, there was always going to be this extra cut. Like I said, man, I I miss that moment, that era of music where you would find Lords of the Underground. Lord, Ooh. oh yeah, I was trying to remember, you know, yeah. who my. I first heard them on the punk, uh, the Biggie song, you know, who sampled them. Chief but then, Rocka. you know, number one. Dude, Chief Rocka is Chief Rocka, yeah. jam. Chief Rocka is really one of those classic singles that just, just amazing. He's, he's a councilman in New Jersey now. Are you serious? Do it all. Yeah, do it all. He's one of our frat brothers. Are you being serious? That's wow. It. Well, damn, do it all. Damn, dude! <laughs> he, he lived up to his, he lived up to his name. He, he lived up to his name. He did. Because <laughs> if you okay, I remember there was a baseline battle. It was either uh, uh, what was a diggable song? I can't think of it now. Cool like that. Rebirth cool like that. Cool like that. And and Chief Rocka both came out around the same time with just these baselines that are just like you had to stop in your tracks when you heard them. Like oh right. my god, it's true. KRS had that a diggable baseline? Bass the Funky Child by, by uh, Lord of the Crown was another one. Oh, dude. The baseline that's that's uncannily like it's a premier beat off Return of the Return of the Boom Bap. Uh, uh, the song Mortal Thought, you know. Mm, I never mm. want the Jerry Curl to run down my head, you know. Mm. Do, 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 do. <laughs> one of these, one of these, one of these upright walking bass lines, you know. Right, right. And the, premier, and, and maybe all the beats, all the beats on that album and the next. And, and premier actually kept making really keeps. I shouldn't say like he's gone. He's still around okay. and he's still making good music. Pete Rock yeah. actually still makes. Him and Pete Rock are two of the greatest producers in the hip hop. Him, Don't Rock, follow them cats on social media, though. Mm, yeah. P-Rock, RZA. <laughs> what's wrong with them? Premier. Oh, 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 oh. Hey. What, what's wrong with them? They're, they're minimal. 
Men of a certain age with certain beliefs. If you follow yeah. any of your hip hop heroes on social media, you finna get your feelings hurt. Why? It's true. Whatever. If I follow any of them on social media, I'm about to get my breakfast on the floor. <laughs> oh, <no. laughs> the, the the politics are reactionary. I mean, talking you know. about you know. Oh, I look. I, I only follow. We have to talk about toys of my era. Yeah, we'd have to talk about you know, the rappers, world but... technique. Was it? Who was it, Toussaint? Was it the was it the the Broadway cat or was it Immortal Technique? Who's the Broadway cat that did Hamilton? Lin Manuel Miranda and Immortal Technique talk, talked about stuffing him in garbage can when they went That's to right. uh, when they went to you know uh, whatever that uh, whatever school high they school went to. was the performing arts yeah. high school. That's he rough. I think it's all love. I think they had a good laugh about it. I think. <laughs> If you want to, if you want to get, Lin-Manuel we're not going to do it now because I got, I got to go. But if you want to get yeah. me to pop off, because I'm a, I'm a musical theater composer. Yes. And so you, you can sometime oh. you can ask me about my complicated feelings about Hamilton. Feelings. that's a show right there. <laughs> Daniel, we got two so more much. shows to bring you back for. Daniel, thank uh, you, guys, you so much for any, hanging any out with us and going time, down I will, room. you know, as as Biggie's as puppy said, shit. We can do this every weekend. <laughs> right? <laughs> Daniel, thank you so much, man. Have a good weekend. Going down memory nice lane. I think, I think Pascal Toussaint, when we remember this stuff, uh, you know, I don't like to get sad because these groups that we talked about can't go on tour the way they did before because they're missing integral members. De La Soul, Tribe Called Quest, you know, that, that I mean, hurts. To think that where there's you know, a will, there's a way. Rock bands do it. It's never. It's the not same. the same. It's never not the same. same, and it's never the same. But if you Van want Halen. to, Van Halen can't go out. Maybe you can't. You can try to go out with with his son Wolfgang, who's a hell of a player. Not the same. Maybe not. Pantera, trying to do it right now. They're getting banned from festivals. Two founding members are gone. Not the same. It's it's hard. It's a hard, hard watch, in my opinion. Um, um, uh, uh, rage figured something out. I mean, maybe there's something new that can be made. Rage against the machine. Yeah, they came up oh, with audio slave. Alive. Well, they came up with audio slave, which now they can't do it. Well, that's Chris Cornell. Chris Cornell is passed away, and and Soundgarden, you know, they're not going out. Nirvana didn't go back out. It's hard to replace. Yeah, it's Dave or... and Fife again. After watching Tribe's last show, it's fun, but it's painful. And see, that's where I am with this. And I had hoped to uh, actually. I should have written it down. I'd hope to talk to Daniel a bit about it. Just uh, it can't get painful. It can. I mean, and we've all had our own losses in the meantime, and we've dated our lives to these songs. It's uh, it's difficult to go back down memory lane sometimes, isn't it, Pascal? It could be uh, quite a torturous turn. Yeah, those yeah, those yeah. groups. If Daylaw does something, there'll probably be a benefit show. I'm sure people will fill in. Um, trust me, a lot of '90s groups you see, there's not original members in them, not because they're passed away, but because of problems and 
lawsuits and all this that and third but like seriously those groups those native tongues groups if you got a chance to see them at some point in your life cherish that memory because for sure man again i there's a there's like three shows i will never forget that last tribe show which we didn't know none of us knew that that would be it i want to say two weeks later we were supposed to see him in san francisco at outside lands and they had like flaked the day of not just not flaked but they, they made a statement they're like we can't do it anymore we're spent this is where our best friend our brother died we're done we can't do it um that outcast Black Eyed Peas concert where there's probably three, four hundred people in this little bitty room crammed together, jumping up and down somewhere. The floor was given. Um, and I saw Muse in a 200 seat club when they were still arena big. And that was amazing. I wanted to talk a little bit more about what we don't get if we don't get native tongues. Just a couple mm. more acts I wanted to add. Mm-hmm. When I was talking about that bridge that we crossed with the shiny, the shiny suits on the other side, mm-hmm. Pharrell's on the other side of that. Yes. But he really is more of a native tongues kind of person. And he, he he brings it together. He manages to make it pop and become Correct. like one of the most successful producers in more recent times. Also, Kanye. Direct line. Direct line. Common. I mean, common. Most deaf, Black Star, yeah. Talib. Uh, I would say also you got I mean, the Soquarians. Soquarians say you gave me give crap about a- wearing that. Hat. I won't even wear that hat anymore. Ah! You said I look like a Soquarian. You're Soquarian hat. <laughs> I won't wear it. I was gonna. I was like, nope. Little crochet goofy hat. <laughs> Jason, why you look like a soul Aquarius? <laughs> you really did. Nah, I won't wear. I will not wear that hat because you showed me the light. We you don't get out. We got um Jason's hat. Uh, we got. <laughs> <laughs> I say we also don't get Odd Future, so we don't get Tyler the Creator either. De La Soul in that Drink Champs interview says that there's a direct line between them and Odd Future, they felt. And I could see that. And I think Odd Future, in a way, is maybe what would have happened to De La Soul if they came up in a media moment like we have now. Right. Right. Which means they broke up. <laughs> I'm glad Which they didn't come part? up in that moment. Maybe, think about these rap groups from that era. They don't change lineups too much. Posses don't last. The big ones. Wu Tang's numbers, but you know, you think about these groups, the native tongues, even Jungle Brothers. Those that's the original cats. True Blue Brothers. You know, uh, again, Run DMC loses a member, an integral member, um, but outside of loss. There's not a lot of guys jumping ship. Not even too many solo careers. That's another thing about the native tongues. Who had a solo outside of Buster Rhymes? Who really had a successful solo career? I wish native tongues had a central project to focus on 
I wish they had a logo like Wu-Tang. I wish they had, I wish they had a record label. Who right. could they have put out? That's you can't. They have weren't it. thinking like that back then. But you also and can't I, have I that because you know they get their deal first. Tribe gets their deal. Tribe signs with Jive. Native or De La signs with Tommy Boy. Right there, it's they're not in that meeting room about a song. Right. That's labels in that meeting room, and you know about who's going to release what. Which is why you know when Hyro got signed, all those guys got signed to the same label, and there was. Uh, I think, uh, what were we calling Eric Sermon's crew? What were they called? Def Squad. Def Squad. We're all on Def Jam, if I'm not mistaken. I think so. So that makes it easier for them to to put out uh, uh, projects. Uh, Boot Camp Clip, I think they were all, they all go independent. Again, after every after the rise of gangsterism as a lifestyle rap, I don't even want to call it gangster rap, because I think shiny suit, coke rap, and gangsterism as a lifestyle is all like the same stuff. Um, a lot of those dudes from the era before got dropped because of the bigger multinational corporations coming in and buying out these labels and huge mergers. They were like, if you're not selling a million copies, you're you're not performing. Right. So a lot of classic groups lost their deals. And whoever was able to navigate the internet early on in the mid to late nineties uh, had some staying power. They were able to to continue to tour, so and and put out product independently. Again, you know, maybe because I'm just from Oakland and I know these guys, um, seen them for years, but Hyro being able to form their own label after they all got dropped using getting dropped as you know not a sign that you're irrelevant but as as a way that you're going to you know change the game it's massive it's massive what they were what they were able to accomplish in the uh, internet era release two records that sell a half a million copies independently that's amazing and you're not getting radio airplay Mm-hmm. You don't have videos in rotation, mm-hmm. you know. So, the guys that were able to to do that, you know, props to them. And it's just not a lot of them. But now here tough. we are. I'm sorry. It's tough. It's it's oh. not it's tough for anybody now. I mean, I I heard uh, Method Man at the barbershop and one of those podcasts. I love that. I love that. With men at the barbershop, like I was in the barbershop getting my hair done too. Um, <laughs> he was, he was like, you see these these young rappers and they got private jets and stacks of cash. He was like, we did not have that. We did not have that. And I've seen like you know footage Wu Tang talking about how you got like five thousand for the night. You guys put that nine ways. Who's sleeping in the van? Who wants a hotel for tonight? Like this kind of thing. How, how, he's like, how are they doing it? In the case of Young Thug, is he mixing the game in with the game? There's some smoke and mirrors. There's some, there's some guys that are legitimately on record labels. True. Um, you know, never underestimate a label's power to make it seem like you're more independent than you are because that's like a thing people like 
with the rise and grind true. culture. It's it true. meshes well. Your faux independence and and a culture of telling people that if they just try harder, uh, they will be successful. Um, I think all those things uh, work in cohesion. Like that band that I was telling you about that I really dig. Um, there's some money behind them. Yeah. You don't get on discovery on on these uh, apps like Pandora and Spotify because you're on the service. It's like a whole industrial complex of these rappers explaining record deals. So yeah, it's also supposed to be very cool that you know your record deal and it's not a 360 and you sit down and you talk about business and money at a radio station. And you're not even I'm telling not the whole story. That. Yeah, it's like, it's, and it's bullshit. No. It's like, it's you're not telling the whole story. You know, you'll take listening to Daylaw and Nori talk. You know, I, I suggest people go watch that Drink Champs episode. It's actually a pretty interesting discussion. And again, it was some of the stuff that I was lucky to be privy to living in that warehouse for so long because when you're around people that you grew up listening to constantly, I want to know. And I got to sit there and be a sponge and hear things. Like, I think I told this story before on the show. Um, this rapper named Filthy Rich. Do you know him, Tucson? Uh, sounds familiar. A lot of rich rappers, though. He did a video. And he did a video. My with favorite rich is Quan. What'd you say? My favorite rich is Quan. Rich oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> um, he was doing a video with a guy that got killed not too long ago, Young Dolph. I think Young Dolph got killed, right? Uh -huh. That's right. I remember that. So they did a video, and it was just a nightmare because he posted it on social media where he was going to be, the address of the studio. Oh, my God. There's just niggas everywhere. And so they had all these rented, um, very, very expensive cars. And the people that drop off those very expensive rented cars are armed and they're just, you know, it's not just not where you want to be when Jesus comes. And I remember going to the director of that shoot and that, and he's a kid, he's this little Asian kid. And he was just like, he goes, I, I didn't know these people are going to be in his eyes are as big as Oreo cookies. And, um, the next day Paris came in the rapper Paris. Devil made me do it. Remember Paris Pascal? Mm -hmm. And we're talking. And the shoot for this video, the budget, I'm saying too much. Watch these dudes got to get mad at me. Which was a big budget when you hear budgets in 2023. Videos are really cheap to make now. Um, it was like 50 grand for this video. And Paris comes in and we're talking and we're talking about budgets. And Paris goes, my first video was cheap and it was like a few hundred thousand dollars <laughs> <laughs> it, it, the the things the things that you would hear about how money was getting thrown around uh when when these guys were first getting started and how they still weren't making any yeah very few of those cats actually walked away with money and you talk about uh, Wu-Tang being a big crew how big do people think Digital Underground was <clears throat> you know there's a lot of cats playing live instruments in that so it's it's uh, 
for the guys that can keep doing it for the long haul, it's it's a it's a beautiful thing to watch. Um, and I do like the fact that there's kind of an oldies scene, if you will, for these surviving dudes. But being that I saw the Who twice, <laughs> the Rolling Stones, I've seen Bob Dylan, I've seen Roger Waters. Um, I'll never see De La Soul, and that sounds insane. That sounds I gotta insane. put it out my mind, man. I'm not processing this too well. I have to say. Just he's a person that wasn't supposed to go. Not yet. Yeah. No. Native, Native Tongues only. No, none of them. Gangsta Boo. <laughs> I, I've How seen did that happen. I've seen the angels rehearsing. You know, my boyfriend's back and you're gonna be in trouble. Mm-hmm. They're still alive. They're still alive. Still and De La Soul is missing. A, the, yeah. That shit ain't right. It's not. I mean, I'm 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 concerned. I'm I'm um dare I say afraid of who's going to be next. Like it's 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 these people you don't expect. Heavy D was a huge shock. Like, how are these people dying so young? He made the Hollywood, he was making the Hollywood pivot. Again, yep. you don't make a lot of money. Your moment's over. Where's the first the first round of these guys? They're still alive. Flash, cool. Grandmaster Flash is still alive. Mm-hmm. Melly Mel? Cool, Herc. Cool, Herc needed health insurance, though. I don't want to see a, an Indiegogo or a GoFundMe so these guys can, you know, get chemotherapy. Yes, that's real. That's very, very real. You know, and not for nothing. Okay, any of us can go at any time. I was very saddened when Michael Brooks passed away. Mm. Um, it's one of the reasons why it was important for me to make sure we had um, that birthday party for Pascal. I think it's important for people to hear about their impact, you know? I think it's important for other people to get the 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 opportunity to speak about the impact that other people have on them. Inshallah, Pascal is going to be around for a long time there, buddy. Relax. I believe that. I believe that. But it's good to hear it, you know? And and what 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 difference it might have made to Michael Brooks if he had had a birthday party and people could have said things to him before he passed, you know? Yeah, Yeah, his sister. You know what? We can't take it for granted. Leisha just won uh, an Emmy. I saw that. Wow, that's yeah. nice. Wow. Shout out. Um. So yeah, it's it's uh. I, again, I've seen so many classic groups. And again, at the studio, you know, you see all the time, Pascal, the studio, Lenny Williams. Really. Mm-hmm. Really. Mm-hmm. Oh 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 oh, Lenny Williams. Yeah, Tower Power. Um, so. It's uh, we you know I've also seen some people pass away, yeah. And uh, remember these these people if you get a chance to see them, go see them. I know Diggable Planets is on tour right now. The original three Diggable Planets, 
is uh, is doing a whole U.S. run. If you get an opportunity to see these shows, go see them. Because the golden era of hip hop really speaks to where we are as a nation. Mm. Yeah. Very, Don't get me started. Don't get me started. We started the show off talking about healthcare and lack thereof. These cats wasn't balling. Ice T, that's not rap money that buys in that house in the Hollywood Hills. That's law that's and order right. money. That's longest running show in in NBC history money. So thank you guys. It was still a fun show despite the somber ending. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll see y'all Tuesday when we talk with Professor Toure Reed about his first book. Not arms with opportunity. What prompted that discussion real quick before we go, Pascal? I forgot. Uh Black History Month. <laughs> Uh, Teray being black, uh, in February with a banger. That's all that was. End in February with a banger. No big deal. No big deal. End in February with a banger. All right. Well, thank you guys. And again, if you got something to add, leave them in the comments. I'm sure the comments for this show probably be really fun. Hoping the comments will be really fun. You know what? I started a the people's playlist of 80s hair metal. Maybe we should start a people's playlist on Twitter of golden era hip hop. What do you say, Toussaint? The forgotten singles. The forgotten oh deep cuts. Like do we have don't do albums, do singles. Do singles? Okay. Because we'll do, yeah. We'll do it on the, the one hit wonders Twitter. We'll do it on the TIR right. Twitter. We will start a people's playlist of golden era hip-hop classics i'd really love to see what you guys add and we are out out